the topic of our message today, living generously. We're going to be studying everybody's favorite topic, which is the topic of tithing, right? Everyone's favorite, yeah? All right, yeah, we're a generous church, yeah, all right. Malachi chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up, and, uh, and we'll be in the Word of God together. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, but before we get to the Word, uh, I just want to tell you a quick story. You see, my wife Larissa, she had a relative, and uh, this relative had a long struggle with mental health throughout their life. And uh, there were seasons where this relative was around and, and, and present for maybe family holidays and things like that. And then there were seasons where this relative would completely disappear. And toward uh, the, the later parts of this relative's life, uh, unfortunately, that was the case. They, uh, they withdrew. They cut off all contact with the family. And, uh, and they actually uh, became a hoarder. They became a, a living in a, in a hoarder type of house. And so um, Larissa's mom and her sisters, who were just amazingly servant-hearted women went to this house when it was time to move this relative out of the house, and, and they cleaned it. And they came home with, I mean, horror stories of the condition of this house. Maybe you've seen the, 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 the episodes of Hoarders. Maybe you've been in a hoarding house. And you, ew, it's a pretty creepy environment, right? Like, you never want to go back to that place. And so they were telling us these stories of the condition of this house. You should see some pictures behind me. That's not the house, but that's an example of a hoarding type of house. It was in that sort of condition. And uh, I was surprised. When we went over there, uh, Larissa's brother and I were asked to go and pick up the one remaining item in the house. It was a washing machine in the basement. We drove over there. The whole house was empty. It actually looked okay from the outside considering the stories that we heard. That was until we went around the back and we opened up the back door. And before we could even cross the threshold into the house, the most putrid smell emitted from the house. And I mean, it literally, it hit us. And we doubled over immediately, just dry heaving. I mean, we were, we were struggling to just breathe. We had to wear masks to even go in, and the house was empty. And here's the point, that this relative, they were living as a hoarder. They were accumulating all these things, and not only that, they were a cat person. And so uh, I hate cats, if you know that about me, so I've always got to take a shot at cats. Um, but it was the most putrid house, and, and not only did it affect this relative, not only did it pollute this relative's lives, it polluted the very environment in which this relative lived. We're going to be studying a similar topic this morning about the Israelites, how they became really greedy and really stingy with their money, and how ultimately they started to live this hoarding lifestyle, which really became a displeasure to the Lord. And again, the sin not only affected the individual, it started to infect the entire camp. It started to infect the entire community, just like this example of the hoarding house. There's a question that I want to ask us this morning that I just want to live kind of in the back of our minds as we, as we go through today's message. And the question is this. You'll see some pictures behind me. And the question is this. Are you or do you desire to be a channel that God's blessings can flow through your life? Are you living like a channel? Look at, look at those pictures. Those look refreshing, don't they? Scripture tells us live, rivers of living water. Are you desired to live like a, like a river to bless others? Or are you living like a dam that's hoarding for yourselves? Are you living like a dam that's hoarding for yourselves? I want this question just to kind of marinate and sit in the back of our minds as we jump into today's scripture. So let's get to it. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. 
It reads this. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? When in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. So uh, I want to spend some time on our first point here, talking about some observations that we can make from the text of what this teaches us about people, what it teaches us about us. And so the first point and the first observation that we can make is that it teaches us that people are disobedient. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down. People are disobedient. Look at verse 6 and verse 7. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your father, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. From the days of your fathers. What the author is saying here, what the Lord is saying here, is he's tying disobedience all the way back to Genesis. And he's connecting it to actually the forefather of Jacob. If you know the story of Jacob, you know Jacob, he was a cheat. He cheated his brother out of his birthright. And so this sort of disobedience and manipulation and all these ugly things that are happening, they've long existed in the history of Israel. And so while the sin of the people is being called out in the here and now, the author and God is connecting it back and saying, you have always been this way. You have always been disobedient. Now, our neighbors, they just recently uh, uh, got their son a, um, a pet hamster. And, uh, and it was actually really cute. We took our kids over to go see the hamster. And uh, <clears throat> if you know my two-year-old daughter, Eden, she loves animals, okay? And so we went into the house. And, oh, there you go. There's the big ferocious hamster right behind me, kids. Watch out. That's a dangerous one. We told my daughter, we said, we said, listen, don't put your hand in the cage. It's going to bite you, okay? We told her at least three separate times. Well, guess what she did within 30 seconds? She put her hand in the cage, and the hamster bit her. Not only did it bite her, it actually got a pretty, pretty gnarly bite on there. It was bleeding quite a bit. And so my father heart, I was like, oh, baby, no. You know, I was hugging her and, and kissing her and that. But, but it was also a great teaching moment. I was saying, baby, we told you, don't put your hand in there. Don't put your hand in there. You're going to get bit. Thank goodness it was just a hamster and not a dog, right? But disobedience, it carries consequences. What Galatians 6, 7 tells us, it says, do not, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what a man sows, so he reaps. When we sow disobedience, there's going to be consequences that we face. Sometimes those consequences hit us immediately and it's a nasty bite. Sometimes it's delayed consequences. But regardless of the timing, there are consequences when we don't listen. It was a good teaching moment for my daughter. The second observation that we can make from this passage 
is that not only are people disobedient, but people are selfish. Look at verse 8. It talks about bringing in the tithe. With this word tithe, it's a Hebrew word, which literally means a tenth, and where we get the idea of 10%. And so this was a money offering that all the people were commanded to bring in to support the Levites, the tribe that were responsible for temple worship. And so this tithe offering was meant to be a blessing to the priests, to support them financially with food and that, and so that they could then facilitate worship of the Lord. This is a really important point here, and I just want us to focus in, okay? Because this tithing system was actually kind of the backbone of the system of worship that God had created. And what this teaches us is actually there was a specific way that God desired to be worshipped. Are you with me? There's a specific way that God desired to be worshipped, but the people weren't worshipping like God desired. They are withholding the tithe, and therefore they were actually neglecting worship. That's my fear, is that that sort of same mentality can easily creep into the church, where maybe we worship like we think God wants to be worshipped, but maybe we're not worshipping like he actually desires. We've got to take caution from these sort of passages, to not live selfish, but to live open to the Lord, to worship as he desires. Because here's the thing, he wants generosity to be an integral part of this worship experience. Just like in the Old Testament and the simple command to bring in a tithe, to bring in a 10%, we also should bring our best, our worship to the Lord. And we shouldn't neglect it because he wants generosity to be experienced both from him and then to one another. Our friends uh, had us over recently, and uh, us and another family, and we all have uh, daughters around the same age. They're all around that two-year-old mark, and, uh, and it was cute. We started playing. The kids uh, were having a great time until a baby doll started to make its way in circulation. It turned mean girls real fast in that room, okay? They were playing cute. And then they started to get a little catty, okay? Who's got the baby doll? And what happened was nothing short of just violence. They started pulling each other's hair. We saw some double-handed pushes. Uh, one of the girls' dads trained jujitsu. I'm pretty sure he had eaten, she had eaten in a triangle chokehold. Um, it was crazy, right? They started to fight over this. And what would happen is when they got a hold of that baby doll, they would put their arms around it. And what they would do, they'd rip away, right? Like, this is mine. This is mine. I couldn't help but think back to that moment as I was writing this sermon. Is that when we're selfish, we're saying, this is mine. I'm holding on to this. I have worked hard for my money, and I earned it. I deserve to hold on to it. And the Lord is saying, loosen your grip. He's saying, loosen your grip. Kids, your parents probably teach you, right, to share your toys. If they haven't, they should start. Because let me tell you, when you get older, nobody likes a selfish person. Nobody enjoys being around a selfish You ever go to those meetings, maybe a lunch meeting or something, and somebody just talks about themselves the entire time? It is exhausting, right? Selfishness, it's exhausting, and it's not pleasing to the Lord. Not only that, but it actually carries consequences. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. They're cursed with a curse. What they're experiencing is actually famine 
in the land. And you know when there's famine, typically there's disease. There's a lot of different unpleasant things happening in the land because of their disobedience. It's like the bite on the finger. They're experiencing the discipline of the Lord here and now for being disobedient and for being selfish. Think back to that image of the dam. When the water becomes stagnant, have you ever noticed if you're maybe going on a hike and you see some stagnant water, it has a stench to it, doesn't it? It starts to smell. It starts to pollute the environment. Whatever's in the water isn't going to be healthy. The water is meant to flow. And this dam is defiling the people. This hoarding mentality is defiling the people. Are we a channel of blessing to others? Do we desire to live as a channel of blessing to others? Friends, God desires obedient and he desires selfless givers. We should just naturally ask the questions then, are we obedient to God with our money? Are we obedient to God with our money and are we generous in our giving? One of the things that I love about God it's just his nature. He, just, he never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. So as we focus in a little bit more on what it looks like to live generously, let's get back to making some observations about God and his character so that we can understand his gener generous nature and then be transformed by that. So let's look at what's true about God. The first point here is that God, he is unchanging in character. He is unchanging in character. Look at verse 6. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. I don't know if we have any Marvel fans in here. Anyone? Oh, wow. Good. Yeah, that's not me, but I, uh, I couldn't help but think of, uh, of, 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 of the image of Hulk, right? And when the Hulk gets super angry, he, right, is, oh, Hulk, yeah. His shirt rips, and, and, he, and he starts to transform and change into something that he's not. Our little uh, four-year-old Judah is our little Hulk in the house, right? And he'll run around sometimes like a crazy man, Hulk smash, right? He totally changes. Um, I don't know why I said that. There's a, there's a little random side note, but it's, it's funny, right? It changes personality. God doesn't change like that. God doesn't change like that. And it's really important just to understand this foundational truth, whether you're young or whether you're old in the room. God does not change. His heart has always been a heart of love. He is full of grace and full of mercy. You see, as we make some observations about ourself and some of the dangers that we can fall into and the traps that we can fall, with, fall into in being selfish and disobedient, we need reminded of God's grace this morning. Amen? Because he is full of grace. He is so kind. And his character, it does not change. He remains faithful from generation to generation. He is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your hope, church family. He is so worthy of everything that we have to offer He's unchanging in his character. The second observation that we make about God is that he himself is exceedingly generous. He is exceedingly generous. You see, after everything that these people have done, think back to this series that we've been in in Malachi so far. We've heard that people have cheated God, that they've profaned him, that they've just disrespected him. This week we're learning that they've robbed him. They have mistreated God through the generations. They have been disobedient. 
But you know what the amazing thing is? Is after all of that, after all of the rebellion and the disrespect, look at verse 7. God wants to return to his people. He says, repent, return to me. Stop doing those things because I want to be with you. It's his heart of mercy that is just fully on display in these verses here. He longs for his people. He is exceedingly generous. Even with the disrespect, he tolerates it because he loves his people. And here's the amazing thing. While he is unchanging in character, he's actually changing in action. He's willing to change his actions. Think about that. He says, return to me, repent, and then I'll return to you. See, sin creates a gap, and it creates a distance and a separation between us and God. It creates a gap. But the invitation is God is saying is when you repent, that gap closes, and I'll change my actions, and I will come back. You will be my people. I will be your God. When we repent from selfish living, there's three ways that we can observe here where the Lord longs to bless his people. The first way that he longs to bless his people and to show them grace is to meet the immediate needs. Look at verse 10. It says, open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. Oh, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. Sorry. One more time. Meet the immediate needs. Look at verse 10. It says, bring the full tithe so there may be food in my house. So God longs to meet the immediate needs of his people. Think about this. The priests were dependent on this tithe. If the tithe wasn't happening, then what happens? Then they were probably starving. They were probably in a bad place. God longs to meet the immediate needs of his people. And not just so that they can get fed, but so that he can be worshipped. It's about his glory. God longs to be worshipped. It's a great example of grace is to meet immediate needs. For some of you, maybe you're walking through a hard time. Maybe you're walking through a season of scarcity. And the Lord's saying, Man, turn from the world, put your trust, put your faith in me. I long to meet those needs. Look at the second point here. It says, he wants to show us grace by giving us blessings. This is the later part of verse 10 that I read earlier. Open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. Now notice here, it says until there is no more what? Need. It doesn't say until there is no more want. Did we notice that? We notice that distinction. The Lord longs to meet our needs, the needs of our heart. But unfortunately, because of the way that the prosperity gospel is twisted verses like this, it, it makes it all about the wants of the heart. Makes it all about the wants of the flesh. And as our prayer team was praying this morning before the service, I just had this image. It's just drawing back to we had these treasures in jars of clay. You think of a jar of clay, it's not really that beautiful from the outside, but the treasure lies within the point of the blessing isn't for material and financial gain. It isn't to be able to buy the newest Jordans and to showboat your wealth. The point of the blessing is to be blessed to bless others, to be that channel where the blessing can flow through you. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way of Jesus. If you've seen anything else exemplified in the church, I apologize for that because that is disgusting. It's not. It is not about us. 
It is not about us. It is about the glory of God and it is about worshiping him and him alone. And when we do that and when we repent and when we turn from our selfish living, the Lord longs to bless us. He longs to meet our needs and to care for us. The third way that he longs to shower us with blessings is to rebuke the curse. Look at verse 11. He uses this word devourer. It's a really interesting word, but it's, it's translated as most likely a, like a crop-eating pest that is actually perpetuating the, the famine that they're experiencing. And God says, I will rebuke the devourer if you repent. I'll rebuke the devourer. See, not only does the Lord want to, want to rebuke the curse of selfish living, not only does he want to do that here and now, but remember, the book of Malachi, it's a prophetic book. It's written to foreshadow the future. And the greatest curse that has ever been rebuked is the curse that we were under under the law. Because we couldn't fulfill the law. All of us. Remember, from back from the time of Jacob all the way through to Malachi to us, if we were still under the law, we wouldn't be able to keep up our end of the bargain. But guess what, friends? Jesus Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. He removed us from punishment under the law and under his law of grace. Under his law of grace. And it's under this law of grace where we get to experience the kindness and the mercy of God. Jesus became the curse for us. He paid the penalty for our sins that we should have paid so that we can be restored into relationship with God. Now, kids, I don't know if you guys maybe are like my family, but we have a chore chart in the house. Does anybody, other, any other kids, you have a chore chart in the house? I see like two hands. Okay, parents, come on. We got to start teaching our kids, right? We got chore charts in the house. And the reason for this is we want to teach our kids responsibility, right? And so every day, there actually should be a picture behind me, you can see, of just a little chore chart that hangs on our fridge. And it gives lists of each things that our kids need to do every day. They've been doing a really good job, by the way. They've been growing in responsibility, and that's been amazing. But here's a way to think about it. Imagine Jesus comes into your house, kids. And imagine he looks at your chore chart, and he says, Wow, Uriah, you had a lot of chores to do that you haven't done up there. And Jesus comes in, and he does all of the chores for you. All of the commands that your parents gave you that Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of a servant and did all of the chores. And I'm talking scrubbing the toilets. I'm talking dusting the blinds, doing the laundry. Some of you moms are like, Jesus, come to my house. That's what Jesus did. It's what he did. He came in and he fulfilled and did all of the commands, not so that you could just walk through the door and say, thanks, Jesus, and go play Xbox, but so that you may be restored to relationship with your father. This is the hope of the gospel. This is why God put it all on the line in giving us Jesus. It's such good news. It really is. A lot of people in our world live under this just false reality that they can just go about their lives, they can live selfishly and never acknowledge the work that Jesus has done. That's a selfish and that's a disobedient life. So here's the best display of love has been given through Jesus, and there's two passages that I just really want to quickly focus on. John 3, 16. You probably know this by heart. But for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten son, that who should ever believe in him shall not perish but have 
everlasting life. God is generous in his gifts, and his most generous gift is Jesus. What hope that we have because of Jesus, because of the way that he has fulfilled the law. Look at this other passage. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It reads, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Think about that. Jesus humbled himself and took on flesh and came down to this earth. He humbled himself in the form of a servant. He became poor so that we might become rich. What a promise. What a promise. If nothing else from this morning, if nothing else, if you don't take anything away from this message, I hope that you take away the fact that Jesus loves you, that he loves you, that he has gone to great lengths to prove this love over and over and over. And no matter how disobedient and no matter how selfish you are, his arms are open wide for you this morning. To turn away, to repent from the selfish ways that you're living and to embrace Jesus in his way, which is so much better than the way of this world. So we have the opportunity as we wrap up and as the, as the worship team makes their way back forward, we have the opportunity this morning to return to God, to live this generous lifestyle that he desires. And I've just been thinking lately, over the past couple months, what if we stopped living with this mentality in the church of a tithing mentality, of saying, I only have to give God 10%. Let me check the box of religion. Let me show up on Sunday. Let me make my small contribution and let me be on my way. What if we left that old lifestyle behind and what happens if we committed to be all in for Jesus? To say, Jesus, you deserve nothing short than my very best, my all and all. How different would this church look? How different would our life groups look? How different would our community look? If we released the dams and opened up the rivers of blessing. Here at Awaken, we, ha we have some words um, for our partners and for our fully engaged partners and it's this we have the expectation that if you're a partner of awakened church that we have a habit of giving regularly and giving sacrificially not because we have to because we get to we get to bless the church with our finances look at the amazing ministry that's happening through this church i get to see it day in and day out I hear the testimonies of people's lives being changed, of people encountering Jesus. It's amazing and it's incredible. But the tithe is important. The percentage that you set aside to bless the church is important. Give regularly, make it a habit. It doesn't matter what the percentage is, but talk to your spouse. If you're single, maybe get with a life group leader or somebody who you're in good spiritual relationship with and come up with a percentage. Ask the Lord. The Lord says this in the word. He says, put me to the test. Set that percentage. Start giving. Start committing to invest in the ministry of the church. And do that, not just in the church, but start giving sacrificially. I think our fully engaged partners who are most effective in generosity are not ones who are sitting back waiting for a need to come up. They're the ones who are out there pursuing needs to meet. And it's amazing. Friends, there are so many testimonies that are happening in this church because of people who are living on pursuit of others. 
I'm seeing people give away thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm seeing people give away material possessions. I'm seeing people open up their homes so that folks can move in. It's incredible generosity. It's incredible generosity. Let's not get lazy. Let's keep leaning in. Let's keep pursuing. For some of us here this morning, I just want to talk and just say, there is grace. There's grace for you available this morning, but some of the hard reality of it is is that you've been living with a hoarding sort of mentality. You've been working to hold on, and actually your selfishness has become a stench to the Lord. It's become a displeasing aroma. There's an invitation this morning to open yourself up, one, to receive the generosity of God through the gift of Jesus. I don't know where you've been. I don't know your story, but I know his grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. He longs to call you, to remove you out of disobedience, and to bring you into the family of God. Would today be the day where you make that commitment to stop living for yourself and to start living for Jesus? Would you do it? It doesn't matter how old you are, how old you are, or how young you are. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you. His friendship is available for you this morning. Return to him. Return to him. There's some other ones that are on the fence. And I think this is actually quite quite common in the church, that you have every intention to give, every intention to, to make an offering to the church and that, but, but, but you never actually do it. But you never actually step off the fence and go to that other side of, of, of living generous. And I just want to encourage you. Would you take a step of generosity today? I'm not saying you have to open up your wallets or your cash apps right now, but I'm saying, would you have a conversation with somebody and commit to start doing this? I think so many of us live with the, the budget, right? And we've got everything budgeted, but when it comes to the church, we're just not sure what that number is to put in there. So we just don't do it. And then we just don't make a habit of giving regularly. And then we start to become that dam and our own bank accounts start to swell, but the blessings are withheld. Would you take that step this morning? Talk to a life group leader, talk to a friend. Say, man, I, I'm ready. I need to start giving. Help me be accountable to do this and to take this step. The Lord longs to bless you. He says, put me to the test. Start to live this lifestyle and just watch the blessings of the Lord come as your needs are met in Jesus Christ. And for others, you're already living generous. You're already giving regularly and making sacrificial giving to support others. And I just want to say thank you, first and foremost. It's amazing. Some of us get to witness that and see the fruit of that generous lifestyle. And it is such a beautiful reflection of God's heart. So thank you. I don't want to let you off the hook, though. I want to give you a challenge, okay? I want to give you a challenge this morning. And if you're in the habit of giving regularly, giving sacrificially. I want you to get with your spouse, or if you're single, get with a friend, or even if you're young, maybe get with your uh, with, with Pastor Daniel or something if you're in the youth, and start to ask, Lord, how do you want to challenge me in my giving? How do you want to challenge me in my giving? And as we sang earlier, wait on the Lord. Spend some time praying. Maybe set aside a day to fast and to see where the Lord is challenging you to give to give sacrificially. There's nothing better as a Christian than to live fully dependent on Jesus. Because friends, let me just say it one more time. 
every need that we have of the heart is met in the gospel of Jesus. Every need, every need. Do you believe it? Yeah. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our gifts. He's worthy of our money. He's worthy of our whole lives. Let's stand up. Let's receive the blessing of the Lord in our lives as we close this morning.